All right, so today um, is Vision Sunday, which you've, if you've been around Welton a little while, um, you'll, you'll be used to that. Who do you reckon's been around the most kind of Vision Sundays the first Sunday of the year? It's probably Pete and Jill Skinner, right? Do you reckon? Is that 125 years you've been? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, feels like it. Feels like it. I'm really excited about what we're going to look at today. It's going to be slightly different, just to give you a little bit of a health warning. Um, we're going to go at a, a good old pace, and it's going to be a little bit different from perhaps what um, I've done in the last few years. And I've taken my glasses off, um, so actually I can't see any of you if you fall asleep or if you get cross or you're anything at all. You can do anything. I won't know, because all I can see is a, a vague group of people. Um, you look very lovely right now, just saying, actually. Um, so, Vision Sunday, there's so many things that we can be genuinely grateful to God for and hopeful for as we head into um, this year. You're ready for uh, just a handful of these things very, very quickly. Yesterday, some of you would have been at Welton Church Runners, missional communities that are beginning to develop and just some beautiful friendships that are, are growing and we're seeing the gospel come alive in those. Um, Sunday energy groups with um, the kids' work that Emily's already shared brilliantly about. Um, and then there's our youth groups that have just gone out, as you've seen. Um, new opportunities, a revived chapel will give us um, in the year ahead. There's midweek um, dinos. Shout out for dinos. Just because I thought Caroline would do it anyway. So, all right. Dinos, um, Ignite, um, Voltage groups, just these incredible healthy things that God is doing amongst our children and young people midweek. Teams going off to Uganda, uh, maybe a team this, this year to Iraq, possibly, or one or two folk going to Iraq, um, Egypt, and other places that we're excited about. Um, the privilege of being a church with a heart for those with additional needs. Maybe you've noticed in the last year or two, um, God has been drawing in more people with complex, different needs in their lives. Praise God, right? That God would trust us um, to be that embracing church family. And we ain't got all the answers, but we work it out as we go. And we're trying to be that place where everybody um, is embraced and welcomed and loved and it, and it can work for us. Um, the life and trust that is growing in our small groups that meet uh, every week in different homes around our different communities, villages from Norton spiraling outwards. And just that love for the Word of God and what it means to look at it, say, what are we seeing and what are we going to do about it? And then turn up the next week and say, did it work? Has it, has it actually worked? Um, some great teaching that we've got coming up this year. Uh, there's a few people that I just didn't have photographs for, and you might be one of those people. Becca Kennedy is one of them. I thought, I've got no pictures of Chris and Becca. But we've got some great teaching coming up this year on worship, different books of the Bible, some fresh voices coming in. Really looking forward to it. Food for thought. Did you know that there's this incredible community run by a team in our church who every month they're gathering people for a meal and fellowship and testimony? Um, and it's just absolutely wonderful what God is doing. It's great. Uh, Enfest this summer. We are really looking forward to Enfest this summer. And where's Hattie gone? She's still around? Hattie, did somebody? You are there. Okay. I thought you were Hattie because I can't see anybody. All I saw was some hands go up, but great. Hattie over there at the back. Um, we're so excited. The Enfest this summer with Hattie and um, a team around her. 
I'm just seeing what God's going to do. Um, and loads and loads of other things, etc. Whether that is creative space, renew well-being, bereavement course that we've just started running. I'm um, going deeper in prayer and ministry and the prophetic, seeing what is on God's heart for today. Things that we've not seen yet, but he wants us to get hold of. Really, really exciting. You know, I was reflecting on some of these things this week and thinking one of the things that I love most about the flow of church life is that we are not polished. And you know that already if you've been around just a little while. We're not trying to be corporate. We're not trying to do everything perfectly. We're trying to be a family on mission. And I think it pleases the heart of God um, that we are saying it's okay that we're rough around the edges. And you know what? We probably always will be, right? Because that's just part of what it means to be Welton. But in the mix of this kind of the messiness and the fact that it's not always as polished as perhaps it might be down the road, actually, there's this love of God. It's like the campfire image that we looked at last year, this time last year, where actually we get to sit around the fire, the presence of God, with spaces amongst us for others to come and join in. I want you to take a moment just with the person next to you. I know some of you just, your heart sank as soon as I said, take a moment with the person next to you. But it's okay. We're not supposed to come to church and just look at the back of somebody's head for half an hour, all right? It's okay to interact with one another. And you don't have to if you don't want to. But just take one minute and share one hope from our church family, something you'd love to see, a hope for um, Welton Baptist Church in the year ahead in 2024. Just go for it for one minute. See if you can think of something. If you can't, don't worry, no pressure. Okay, that's it. Time up. Time up. Lord Jesus, would you take these hopes, these things that I'm sure you've heard and you've loved hearing, and we'd love to go around, love to hear them if we had time, but would you take those hopes and would you breathe your Holy Spirit on them and more that together and we would see things that we could not see unless the presence of God dwelt among us. So take those hopes, add to them, breathe life into them. Father, I pray that many of us would become the answers to those prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say again, um, thank you for those of you that prayed for me when I was on sabbatical. You know, Matt Coombs was off on sabbatical. I had a text from him this morning with a photograph of the lake that he was sat in beside saying, think of you setting up the chairs this morning. Yeah, of course you did. Um, pray for Matt. But I want to say thank you for those of you that prayed for me um, whilst I was away. It was such a refreshing time in God. But I do feel that I need to make a confession. You ready? Yeah. Here's the confession. And it comes in the form of an email that I got from Pretamanje. And um, this is real. This is not like a preacher's joke. This is absolutely real. Dear Mr. Hebditch, we are delighted to inform you that your Pret subscription with us has saved you £248 in coffee. <laughs> and in addition to this, congratulations are in order. You are the number one Panoraisin customer for the entire Bath region. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. There's so many things I'm quite, quite proud of, like being a dad and stuff. But that's it. That's top of my list. There you go. Confession. supposed to be good for the song. But thank you. Thank you for those of you that prayed. It really was such a refreshing time in God. And I'm loving being back with my church family. Most of you know that um, in January, um, on the first Sunday back, we, we tend to look at these kind of three core values that we've got as a church, um, which are rooted in Scripture. It's to be a church that is disciple-making, um, church planting and world reaching. And really, they're just things that we see in Scripture that we're called to do, that we're not called to keep it to ourselves. As we get to know Jesus better, it flows and we bless others and other churches and it goes wider, hopefully to touch other parts of the world. And then built on top of those values, um, there's vision, 
which is a little bit more um, adaptable, and it changes as the context change, and as new people join the church, and as people come to be followers of Jesus for the first time, we're asking that question, what is it that God's called you to? And those things flow into the vision of the church. So they are fed by Scripture, but they're built on those biblical values. And I had intended this morning um, to look at kind of a combination of those values and vision, but actually I felt the Holy Spirit had something else for us, um, which actually does relate back to those things, but it's quite specific. And this is what I wanted to look at um, this week and next week, but in a slightly different way next week. I want us to explore together, this is what God's put in my heart, what it could mean for us in 2024 as individuals and as a church family to really dwell in the Word of God and see what happens as we do that. Or more accurately, to be people who allow ourselves to be so captivated afresh by who God is that actually we become a danger to the enemy and we become really quite potent in our lives because we have been dwelling on who Jesus is, that the next thing we do um, has, is affected by it. I want to anchor what I want to share today. Um, and if don't worry about any noise that's in the room, noise is good. We're a family church, right? So as long as you can hear, and if you can't hear, just come and sit down on Jonathan's lap. Safeguarding Carly's concerned. Sit next to Jonathan. Be fine. We, um, we want to focus on one verse. We're going to pick up the first half of the verse this week and the second half next week. And it's from um, the letter that Paul writes to the Colossian church where he encourages them in chapter 3 with these great words. And I'd love us to read it together. Is that all right? So best, if you're able to read, um, best reading voices, here we go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So today we're going to focus on the first half, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So where are we headed? I've broken it down into kind of Dave Kingswood bite-sized chunks. I'm never as eloquent as Dave, and it's dreadful being in a church where you've got such a great Bible teacher like Dave Kingswood. But anyway, I try on some of my headings. I just try and you know, emulate Dave a little bit. But here we go. A course correction, which is a story I want to share with you, a testimony. A startling discovery that most of you are going to sit there and say, you should have discovered that when you became a Christian. But I'm st- what are some of these things we go back to, don't we? Some of these things we have to relearn. Um, why it can be hard to dwell. Shock, horror. It's not easy reading the Bible. Just to say that, to put it out there, we're going to dig a little bit into why that might be true. And then an invitation to marvel, not the comic, not DC, but to marvel, to wonder at who God is. Paul, you got excited then for a moment, didn't you? I thought it might have been um, Captain America. Is he DC? Marvel. And Marvel and DC are different. I don't know what I'm talking about, do I? (laughs) Clearly. What I don't want to do today, just to be clear from the offset, is what I don't want you to hear is... Just read your Bible more. Okay, now that's not quite true. I do want you to read your Bible more. But actually what I don't want any of us to do this morning is to feel a sense of guilt or duty. That would be just super unhelpful. What I do want us to allow is the Holy Spirit's invitation to say, come and dwell on who God is. And to discover, as the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. And as I prayed for us as a church family, I'm just a sense that there's a whole load of us, that there are parts of our soul that do need reviving. Well, praise God. We've got a God whose very character revives our souls. 
I don't know how much you feel that your soul needs reviving. I want to gently encourage you that as you look at who God is in the Word, you will find a reviving for your soul. We're going to dig into this a little bit this week and next week. Okay, a course correction, a bit of a testimony. In mid-September, I sat in a coffee shop um, with my Bible, and I was partway into this goal of trying to read the Bible in a month, and this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, I am really struggling with a particular aspect of what I'm reading. Later this year, I want to share with you the particular thing that I was struggling with because I'm excited about how God has shown me some things from his word about the thing in the word that I was struggling with. That's not for today. And I got into this point where I was, I would say the word was desperate, pretty desperate. And about an hour in, just reading my Bible with my coffee and my Danish pastry, um, I had a bloke come up to me and say these exact words verbatim. He said, that looks like a labor of love. Keep on going. It's interesting, isn't it? And I could have fallen off my seat. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's a thing. But here's how lacking in faith I can be sometimes. Within 10 minutes, I'd taken this beautiful thing that God had done, and I turned it into a coincidence. And I kind of told myself, well, that, that could happen to anybody, right? And I annoy myself big time sometimes. That's what I'd done. Anyway, an hour later, I was at Durham Park um, National Trust Place, went and sat down on a bench outside. Um, and actually, this is a photograph that I took, started reading my Bible again. And another older man in his 80s came up and said, excuse me, young man, that looks like the word of God you're reading. I think we need to have a chat. Honestly, I was just completely speechless for about 20 seconds. Where I said, yes, I, I think we probably do. And we had this 45-minute incredible conversation uh, with this man about the person of Jesus and how you see him on every page of Scripture and how there's not a, a God of the Old Testament who's a bit scary and a God of the New Testament. No, there's one God of the Bible and his name is Jesus. And actually, that's we get this beautiful joy of looking for Jesus through every page of Scripture. And we got to the end of this conversation, and he said, Matt, he said, I prayed this morning that God would lead me to somebody who I could bless and who would bless me. And Matt, you're that person. As he got up to leave, um, he said, Matt, he said, keep looking for Jesus in those pages. There's more to see. And I did, and I am, and I'm loving um, what I'm discovering. And I'm more convinced than ever that the Word of God, for all its complexities and frustrations and questions and just strangeness, is the single most trustworthy source of truth about God that you and I have. I'm convinced that how alive you become this year in, in your faith as a human being is directly connected to your dwelling on who God is in his word. There is a connection, I believe, that's actually far richer and far more potent than sometimes we realize. I'm more convinced than ever that when we come here together to do this on a Sunday and midweek um, in our houses around the area, and by the way, if you start coming to church every week, start coming again. There's a reason there's seven days built into the rhythm of life. I don't want to give you a hard time. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I love that you're here, and sometimes we shift work and all the rest of it. But actually, let's not fall out of the habit of just in that weekly cycle of life, being together to worship Jesus, to be friends with people that you would not normally be friends with, right? There's Jonathan as an example. 
and to get into the Word of God together. It's such a joy, it's such a privilege. On my sabbatical, I made a life decision for however many years I got left, and that could be 20, 30, 5. Who knows how long any of us have got left. I made a decision. I never want to stop going to church. Sorry if that sounds really old-fashioned, but I love the people of God. I love worshipping him. I love what the Holy Spirit does, and I love how the Holy Spirit wants to show more of Jesus to me. And bizarrely, I can't tell you exactly why, he chooses to do it when I'm in the same room with you lot. That's weird, isn't it? It is weird, but that's how God's chosen to reveal himself. So, okay, I'm up for it. I want to give you um, a Greek word, and it's the word dwell, which is at the heart of this verse that we're unpacking a little bit today. And I'm not a big fan of here's the Greek, because sometimes it's just like a look at how smart I am, and I'm not going to fool any of you guys with that. But there's a good reason for this one, right? Um, in, in oikau, apparently that's how you say it, but this is what it means, and I love it. It says the word for dwell, actually translated means to live in or to inhabit a place. It's beautiful. So the idea is that you're not a guest or a visitor, but actually you're somebody who's been invited in to make themselves completely at home. And if you want to think, in, if you think pictorially like I do, you might want to think of an, an incredible stately home with different floors and some rooms that are totally different from others and secret passageways in a cellar and beautiful gardens and all these things going on rather than a travel lodge. Um, which we can sometimes do when it comes to the Word of God. Quick in, quick out, right, bang, crack on with our day. Actually, no, the Word of God is like this incredible home that God has said, come and work your way around. It's going to be complex. It's going to be interesting. It's going to take some effort. In September, I wrote a reminder for myself that I've been going back to maybe once a week, and you can make up your own. This was mine, about dwelling in the Word of God and how it affects everything else around me when I do it. And I said this, it's the practice of looking at God through his word with an open soul, heart and mind, allowing him to be him without trying to fit him into what I think he should be. Rather than me reading the word, allowing the word to read me, if that makes sense. And I'm just going to do something slightly embarrassing that I said I wouldn't do in the earlier service. Can I borrow your Bible? Um, This is just maybe, some of us think visually, don't we? I'm a visual thinker. And so what I found myself doing, this is quite embarrassing, down in the cellar, when I'm getting into the Word of God, I'm dwelling in the Word of God, I found myself, rather than straight away doing this, which puts me in control, doesn't it? I'm the one reading the Word. I found myself holding my Bible above my head. You think I've lost it now, don't you? Holding the Bible above my head and saying, Holy Spirit, let your Word read me, rather than me reading your Word. And then I open my Bible. And there's something about just saying, God, I'm I'm ready for you to be in control here, for you to decide what I see. Thanks, Jill. Maybe you could um, write your own. I don't know. Um, Let me share with you my startling discovery, which ties in with this. And really, I'm tempted to call it a not-so-startling discovery because it's something we know and I've known, but I just feel the Lord circling me back to it, and I think he wants to do this for us as a church family. Here's the thing, right, about dwelling. You choose where you dwell. Every day you make a choice. And the choice, if you boil it down, it's just two things. It's Jesus or circumstance. You have a starting point. Whatever you're thinking about, it's Jesus, um, the word of God, the who he is, the character of God, or it's the circumstance, whether good, bad, and everything in the middle. You choose where you start. And here's the reality, right? When I dwell on circumstance... I only have two options, really, and that's to control it or to be anxious about it. 
I can control things as much as possible, or I can veer into worrying about it and being anxious. Now, control is not a bad thing, and we need to know that. If you ask any decent therapist, any counsellor, or the, the counsellor with a capital C, they will say, actually, it's far better to focus on things that you can control than the things that you can't control. But we're not called to be people that control everything. We're called to follow Jesus, to listen to him, to trust him, to allow him into the, the big stuff of life and the small stuff. So rather than being great at controlling things, we see them transformed because we've been with God. Don't get me wrong, I care so deeply about my two girls and Liz, my wife, and you, my church family, and my mission friends overseas. I so care deeply that I want to be hands-on. I want to be involved. But here's what I've discovered. When I've been with Jesus before I'm with you, you get a much better version of me. That makes sense? When I've dwelt with God, when I've allowed his word to do something in me, to show something in me, actually the next time I meet up with you or we have a phone call, somehow it's different. Stating the obvious, right? But it's interesting how easily I find myself doing life having not dwelt on Jesus, but I've dwelt on the thing, on the circumstance. Uh, a verse that captures it for me, and I've been praying this verse, um, is from Job, who knew a lot about circumstances. And it's Job 23, verse 12, and it says, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And if you knew how much I love bread, you'd realize why that is a significant statement to make. I've treasured the words of his mouth. Now I'm ready to go and have a meal with somebody and sit down with them. I want to reflect a little bit on why this can be difficult. Because there's a danger, right, in church life. You get somebody stood at the front saying, we should do this amazing thing. It's really easy. Well, I want to be really upfront with you, and I think you know it already. Reading the Bible is not easy. And if anybody says to you, it's just easy, it's so easy, well, you're probably doing it wrong. Because actually anything of any real value takes some effort, a bit like John was alluding to this morning. First of all, let's just look at some reasons why it can be difficult. First of all, we're not reading one book, but we're reading a collection of 66 books. And they're not in some like neat series, like the Percy Jackson series or something. They're this random collection of books. And oh, and by the way, 39 of them, the Old Testament, well, they point towards God, but before God was actually here in human form. And so really what they are is they're a shadow a foreshadow pointing towards the person of Jesus. But you're going to need some skills. You're going to need to work it out. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to help you. Otherwise, you're going to get lost. You're going to go down all sorts of avenues. You're going to start calling a shadow the person. And that's dangerous when you start reading the Old Testament um, in a wrong way. The Old, shadow is a, a fo- the, the Old Testament is a shadow pointing towards Jesus. Every time we come to the Word of God, we should be saying, show me Jesus. Spirit of God, show me Jesus. In Galatians 3, it's all over the place, but Paul is really, really clear in both the book of Romans book of Galatians. He makes it clear, verse um, 24 from chapter 3. It says, so the law, the Old Testament, was our guardian. Um, some tran- translations say our tutor until Christ came. We're going to dig some more into that this year, I hope. I need to twist Dave's arm to let us look at how we read the Old Testament well, which I'm sure David would be open to. Also, we shouldn't be surprised when it comes to dwelling in the Word of God Then it can be difficult because we've got an enemy who hates us doing it. The father of all lies, as Scripture says, whose primary objective is what? Not to make you sin. 
You might think the enemy, his main thing is to make you sin. That's not. The main thing the enemy wants to do is to distort your picture of who God is. Because then everything else is easy when our picture of God gets messed up. To keep us from seeing how loving, how holy, how forgiving God is. The word is first and foremost a picture of God with different colors and textures and voices, all of them pointing towards the person of Jesus. No wonder we have to fight for it. The enemy's going to try and distract and uh, distort wherever he possibly can. We're also affected by the culture around us. And what I don't want to do is to say culture is bad. That would be completely too simplistic, and it's just not true. There are aspects of culture that are beautiful. There are aspects of culture in every culture that are ugly, and we need the discernment of the Spirit to work them out. But here's a reality around the culture that you and I have found ourselves living in. I want to suggest that we are right in the middle of a moment in time that is fairly could be described as a consumer culture where actually the effect is that our view of the Bible becomes a transactional view rather than a a transformational view, which I think is in the heart of God when we see him. So we can come at the Bible and we can say, information in, what I need out. A transactional approach leads us to this not-so-great place where I use the Bible to get things done, presuming I know what God wants to do, or I read the Bible to confirm what I already thought rather than staring in wonder at who God is. How did we get here? You know, living in the West, whether we like it or not, we are surrounded by this weight of consumerism, and it affects all of us, and it can creep into our spirituality. Over the last 150 years, as industrialization and globalization have become our reality, they've taken root, it's affected how we view productivity. Let me explain what I mean. Before the Industrial Revolution, products were connected to the people that made them, right? Somebody made something down the road, you knew who the person was who'd made it. We've gone from being a society of producers to a society of consumers, where our primary activity is to consume things rather than to make them. And so what that means is that we're effectively, we're detached from the producers. Generally, they live in other nations, don't they? So you can have fruit from Morocco, um, T-shirts from Bangladesh, iPads from China. And suddenly... The story of who made something becomes irrelevant because we just want the product and we want it as cheaply as possible. What if that whole picture that we live with day in, day out, what if that creeps into our spirituality? What if it creeps into our view of being people that read the Bible and see God? I think the result is that we start to see the Bible as a way of achieving the best possible life with the lowest possible effort. It's possible. And we may not say it out loud, but we, we take this kind of transactional view of reading the Bible, and it begins to undermine the simplicity and how profound it is simply to look for God with no expectation of what might happen beyond that. Taking a step back, I think it's really important to see this, just a little bit of theology with you on this, but how the gospel itself can be compromised when we move into this kind of transactional view rather than a transformational view. It can be reduced to something that is less than it should be. See, many of us, we've been taught, or subtly we've believed over the years, that the main purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus is forgiveness. Actually, that's not biblically correct. 
Don't kick me out of the church just yet. Hear me out. Actually, Scripture tells us over and over again that the main purpose of Christ's death and resurrection is reconciliation. Forgiveness is the doorway to be reconciled to God. So yes, we've forgiven our sins, and oh my goodness, we so need that, don't we? If there's any of you sat here this morning thinking, I'm not a sinner, I want to lovingly and respectfully say, oh no, you are. You really are. So am I. There's stuff that you do that hurts God, that hurts other people, and hurts yourself, and it breaks the heart of God, and we so need God to forgive us. Praise God. He is longing to forgive us so that we can be reconciled in relationship with him. Now, we need to be careful here because, of course, Scripture tells us that Jesus died for our sins, and praise God for that. And, you know, many of you know, just, just to make it really clear, over the years, when any, a, a youth group might say, uh, Matt, what is your, the best experience you've ever had of God? And they're expecting me to say, oh, you know, this missions trip or my wedding night or whatever it may be. Actually, my answer is always the same. It's, oh, my best experience in the whole of my life is being forgiven. Because where it leads me into this relationship of reconciliation with God. But you see, a transactional gospel says we had a debt to pay and God sent his son to pay it. The balance is now zero, job done. But scripture tells us that the primary goal of the cross was reconciliation. Forgiveness, you, see, you could look at it this way if you want to look at it in terms of history. Forgiveness takes us back to Genesis 3 where there was a distorting of relationship and it all went so badly wrong at the fall. Reconciliation takes us back to Genesis 2 where we get to walk in the garden with God and hear his voice, and not feel shame or fear. We get to have conversation with our maker. That's the heart of God for reconciliation. A transactional gospel is a compromised gospel that the world isn't that interested in. That's the truth. The world needs something far bigger, and there is something far bigger. It's called reconciliation with our maker. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, captures this. Um, uh, chapter 5 of uh, 2 Corinthians from verse 16 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, was and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Why does it matter? Reconciliation literally means the restoring of relationship, not just our legal standing before God. Both are important. And it changes everything about how we pray, how we talk to other people about Jesus. It changes uh, what, we, what we believe that is, we're, we're capable of as human beings. And yes, it changes the way that we read the Bible. So many of us, if we're honest, we feel as though God has forgiven us but doesn't really like us. I've been a pastor for enough years to know there's a whole load of people in church life who wander around with the sense that God is quietly disappointed with them. Because they've bought into this transactional gospel, well, I'm forgiven, so legally I'm okay. But actually, there's so much more within this relationship of reconciliation. Many of you heard me say it before, but I do an exercise with groups of leaders overseas. And it's one of the first things that we'll do with a group of leaders that are serious about sharing their faith in a context where they could be killed for sharing their faith. What I get them to do is I say, right, you've got one minute. And I say, I want you to imagine that God is describing you to his friend. 
But here's the deal. In that one minute, you need to think about what God, what God would be saying to his friend. But in that one minute, you're not allowed to use any negative language at all. You can't say anything negative about yourself. It's only things that God sees in you um, without any negative language. You'd be amazed at how many leaders who have led for decades can't get to the end of one minute. They, d- they dry up before they reach the end of one minute. You see, God hasn't just forgiven us. He's restored our place at his table of friendship forever. So when we come to his word, we should expect to find a God whose desire is for relationship. It's primary that we discover that actually from that place, we experience the deepest of transformations. So can dwelling in the word be difficult? I think we've got to say yes, it can for multiple reasons. We're going to pick up a few more um, next week. But the best things are childbirth having family, solving a mystery, learning to play an instrument, discovering a vaccine for COVID, marriage, climbing a mountain to look out over the view. But it's so worthwhile, isn't it? These things that actually they do take. It's not always easy. They can be difficult and complex. You've got to push through. I believe the same is true with the Word of God. And anybody that says, oh, it's really, really simple, you just read it. No. We're going to have to grapple with it. We're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to to reveal Jesus on pages that you think, where is Jesus in this book of Numbers? But he's there. He's there. We're going to pick up more on this next week. Maybe you're thinking, I'm going to come into land with just to share a a story. You might be thinking, why on earth is Matt focusing so much on dwelling on the Word of God, the person of God within Scripture? Shouldn't we be focusing more on mission, on the out there, on what God's going to do through us as a church. And you might expect me to do that because that's kind of, you know, one of the areas that I'm most passionate. Here's the reality, right? And I'm seeing this more clearly, I think, than ever in my life as a 50, if Liz was here, I'd ask her. I think I'm 51. I might be 52. Not totally sure. But after 35 years or something of following Jesus, I think I I see this more clearly than I've ever seen it before. Here's the reality. The more we dwell on who God is, the more effective our witness to him will be. On my sabbatical, here's a weird thing, right? So three months on my sabbatical, I, took to, I talked more with people that don't know Jesus yet and prayed with more people. Oh, I don't know why I'm crying, but I just loved it. With more than I have done in the last five years, three, four, five years, something like that. I would say I've talked to more people about Jesus. Here's why. Because half an hour before, I've been sat in a coffee shop seeing God. So then when you're in a, in a queue in the supermarket talking to somebody, the most natural thing ever is to talk about the, the Jesus that you've just seen or the story from the Gospels that you'd never seen this aspect of before. I'm going to share, you just one, going to share with you one example, and I've intentionally made it an example that is not about me. Um, it's about a friend of ours from my overseas team that I work with, um, a guy called um, Sub-Saharan Africa, and he decided um, that he would move to a different part of his nation where the threat to life is very high um, if you're a follower of Jesus. And he made this decision early on. He lived there for a few years. He made this decision early on that he would um, search daily for Jesus in the Bible. That was his thing. Not just I'm going to read the Bible every day. And actually, that's a really good thing to do. And, you know, if you can do it, great. But his thing was, I'm going to look for God. And I'm going to let God be God. The thing I was talking about earlier on is I'm going to let God read me rather than me reading him. And so he made that decision. And month by month, just decided that whatever he'd seen of God, he would allow it to flow out into his life. 
So he cared for his neighbors. He showed interest in their lives. He asked them good questions. He listened well. Um, he was hospitable. He visited the sick. He offered to pray for people regularly. Um, he gave out some medication where it was necessary. And he worked with them to start a school in this village. Um, he even served as the secretary alongside the village leader in this place and when, when he held court. And along the way, told stories about Jesus, the friend of Muslims, the friend of atheists, the friend of everybody that was open to him. He told stories and people would listen. The guy who was the village leader um, had been close friends with him. They'd, they'd grown a friendship over the years. But um, one evening became incredibly agitated, um, totally out of the blue, and said to all these years I've been observing and listening to you. You've been telling your stories about this Jesus who loved people, worked with all, was kind to all, and never repaid evil for evil, no matter what. And you've been inviting my people to submit and to follow this Jesus. But as I watch you, I see that you are really a con man. You are really this Jesus, aren't you? I see all the things you told me about Jesus are the very things you're doing. So when you ask my people to follow Jesus, really you're asking them to follow you. You want to take my people and be their ruler, don't you? Interesting, isn't it? It's so allowed the word of God to dwell in him richly that people had come to the conclusion he was Jesus. Now, you'll be glad to know I put them right and said, uh, no, I'm not Jesus at all, but I can show you where to find him. And opens up his Bible and says, you're going to have to do some exploring. It's not easy, but you will find him here. And the story goes on. We haven't got time for it, but it's a great story. I've been getting so excited at the thought of what happens for us as a church family when we get to dwell in the Word of God and see things for ourselves that just come alive. I'm so excited about what happens next. Do you get what I mean? We dwell in the Word of God, we see God, and oh, the next place you are, that's going to look different. It's going to look different. So I want us to pray. And the last thing, just an invitation really, an invitation to, to marvel, to Maybe if the Holy Spirit has been stirring you a little bit this morning, here's what I'd love you to do, and you'd be completely joining me in this prayer. And really, all I want us to do is to be thinking about this verse that says, um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and just to say, I will. Simple prayer, I will. Um, in our house group, um, for the last year, we have been, I've been loving it. Who's in, who's in the house group? I don't lead our house group, but it's been good, hasn't it, in this last year? I can't see who you, is that Fee? Fee? And Roxy, all right, great. Nice to see you, house group. Holly, cool. But we do this thing where we get into the Word of God every week. We get into the Word of God, we look at a passage, we say, what do we see? What, what kind of stands out? What does it tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about ourselves? But then we ask an important question. We say, what are you going to do? And all of us, don't we? We write down, I will. And here's the cool thing. We come back together next week and say, did it work? And actually, Fee and others of you, I'm going to get you guys next week to share some testimony if you're up for it of just some of the stuff that we're seeing God do as we dwell around who God is. So that's the question for you this morning. Are you, are you willing to look at this year ahead and say, all right, Lord, I would love to see you more fully as I dwell in your word, all right? And the answer is just a simple, I will. I'm not going to get anybody to stand up, say it aloud, any of those things. I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of space in the prayer where for you to say your own version of I will to the Lord. Is that all right? So let's close our eyes. Spirit of God, thank you that your word itself promises that you will lead us into all truth. And Lord, I believe that there's so much more 
of Jesus to see. And I pray that perhaps where some fatigue has kicked in or there's been some distractions, whatever it may be, where our love of your word has in any way been reduced, I ask you, Spirit of God, would you come now? And would you remind us that it is the most trustworthy source of truth we have? And just in this quiet moment as we as we come to pause before we have lunch together, I just pray now, Holy Spirit, will you stir inside of us something that says, okay, I will. So I just want to pray over us as a church family. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now you just in your own words, not out loud, just in your mind, you respond to the Lord. Just give him your I will, whatever that looks like. Let the word of Christ dwell in in you and us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.